Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on a Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling, unrolling the scroll, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fixed on him. He, be- he began by saying to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. So we've all heard that... that so we've all heard that took place in Capernaum. Do it here in your hometown also. He also said, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there are certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day, when the sky was shut out for three, three years and six months, while a great famine came over the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow at Zapath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had serious skin diseases, yet not one of them was healed, only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that the town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. The next reading is Psalm 104, and it's on page 546 of the Church Bibles. My soul, praise Yahweh. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. He wraps himself in light as if it were a robe, spreading out the sky like a canopy laying the beams of his palace on the waters above, making the clouds his chariot, walking on the wings of the wind, and making the winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He established the earth on its foundations. It will never be shaken. You covered it with the deep as if it were a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, The waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the place you established for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. They will never cover the earth again. He causes the springs to gush into the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They supply water for every wild beast. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky live beside the springs. They sing among the foliage. He waters the mountains from his palace. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of your labor. 
He causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for man to cultivate. Producing food from the earth, wine that makes man's heart glad, making his face shine with oil, and bread that sustains man's heart. The trees of the Lord flourish, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork makes makes its home in the pine trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the cliffs are a refuge for hyraxes. He made the moon to mark the festivals, the sun knows when to set. You bring darkness and it becomes night, when all the forest animals stir. The young lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, they go back and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labour until evening. How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number living things both large and small. There the ships move about, and Leviathan, which you formed to play there. All of them wait for you to give them their food at the right time. When you give it to them, they gather it. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your breath, they are created, and you renew them, you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they pour out smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God while I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him. I will rejoice in the Lord. May sinners vanish from the earth and wicked people be no more. My soul praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Tyson. Uh, My name's Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege uh, to preach from this part of God's Word this week, Psalm 104. So please keep it open. It's our last week in the Psalms before we hit 1 Corinthians next week. Um, If you do know what a hyrax is, please let me know after church. I have no idea. Um, Was that? Someone know? No? Hyena? Uh, Who knows? Um, Let me pray as we come to uh, this part of God's Word. Uh, Father, we do want to thank you so much that you are uh, a life-giving God. Uh, We thank you so much that you um, bring life to your world and life to us. Uh, If this were not so, uh, we would have nothing. Um, So, Father, please convince us afresh this evening that that is your character. You love to give life. Please help those, especially who are doubting that at the moment, um, feeling the power of death at work in their lives, and just perhaps doubting that you really do want them to flourish. Please help them particularly to be convinced this evening that you are a God who loves to bring life. We pray, please, you'd speak words of life now uh, as we spend this time in your word. Amen. Uh, I love grass. Um, I think the most wonderful thing about golf uh, is golf courses. 
You know, these rolling green hills, beautifully kept grass. I really do like grass. Um, when I'm walking past a nice park, I, do, I just have this great desire to pull my shoes off and just walk, run around barefoot, uh, maybe lie down for a while. I, I, just, I don't know why. I love grass. Um, the, the greenness, the softness, but especially the aliveness. I love that a whole hill can be covered in this living thing. That's, it's kind of alive and moving. Um, we, uh, we used to have grass. It was good. Not anymore. Um, but we used to have grass. It grew up next to some pavers. There's got a bunch of pavers, a bit of grass here. Um, and every now and then the grass would get a bit carried away and grow over the pavers and kind of come up between them. And my wife would say, Dan, it's time to you know, cut the grass back. I didn't want to. I, I really like it when the grass, the life, just kind of overthrows these kind of, this hum, humanly put in boundary, these hard concrete pavers. You know, I love that life's overthrowing it as a wonderful stuff. Um, not so my wife, so the grass got cut, but you know, that's how it was. But strange as this might sound, I think this is a great picture of actually how our world kind of is. Um, in our world, as you look around, there's so much this, this kind of power of life, wanting to grow and flourish. People, humans growing, animals, plants growing and flourishing. And yet, at the same time, there's pavers. There's this, there's this kind of boundary that's kind of pushing back and opposing life and flourishing. We see it in the world around us, the created world, the environment. And I think we feel it in our own lives as well. At least I feel that in my life. It, I want to flourish. I want to grow as a person. And yet it's so hard. It's as, if, it's as if the world around me resists that. There's death and suffering and frustration and broken relationships and mistrust and just difficulty in living. Psalm 104 uh, wants to tell us that God loves life. He is the life giver. And it calls us to celebrate that fact. Friends, you need to be convinced of that. That God's a life-giving God. Because if you're not convinced, you're not going to follow him. When life gets tough and he asks you to walk in particular ways that sound difficult, if you don't believe he's actually a life-giver, he's committed to your flourishing, you're not going to follow him. We must have no doubts about this, that God is a life giver, even in the face of this tension, this, this power of death that we feel. Even in the face of this power of death we feel in the world, we notice we must be convinced that God is a life-giving God. That's what he's on about. And so we're going to spend some time this evening in Psalm 104, uh, seeing that fact, and then we'll, then we'll, we'll turn our attention to this tension. But let's look at Psalm 104. Look, look down with me at verse 1. Good place to begin. My soul, praise Yahweh, and all that is within me, praise his holy name. This is our God. I'm, I just read that with great conviction, but Psalm 103. Let's do Psalm 104. Verse 1. What am I preaching on? It's pretty similar, isn't it? Wow, maybe we really should praise the Lord. Okay, let's read again. Psalm 104. My soul, praise Yahweh, Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. That's our God. He is very great. Uh, what's he done? Uh, look at verse 5 with me. 
He established the earth on its foundations. It will never be shaken. You covered it with the deep as if it were a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. This is our God. He is the creator God. Um, He's drawing a little, giving us a little picture of creation here. One of the ways the Bible speaks of creation, it's not a science textbook, is is as if there's water over the whole earth. Uh, It's just a blank canvas. The whole earth is a blank canvas of water. Uh, But see what happens next. Verse 7. At your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. Mountains rose, valleys sank to the place you established for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. They will never cover the earth again. So God has this blank canvas covered in water, and he says, Rightio, water, out of the way, off you go. And what do the waters do? Flee, like obedient puppies, over to the place where they've got to stay. Stay, you're not coming out of there, stay. And they don't come back. And he goes, okay, we've got this blank canvas, the water's out of the way, mountains, up you come, valleys, down you go. That's good. I like what I've done with that. This is our life-giving, omnipotent God speaking his world into existence, a world that fosters life and diversity. And he's still sustaining life by moving water around. Look with me at verse 10. That's, That's where it goes next. Verse 10, he causes the springs to rush into the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They supply water for every wild beast. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky live beside the springs and sing among the foliage. He waters the mountains from his palace. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of your labor. He causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for man to cultivate, producing food from the earth. This is our God. Bringing life, sustaining life by, by moving water around. It's part of the way he does it. I was given a great um, object lesson in this a few years ago. Um, I, uh, my wife and I were going to Switzerland. Um, but just before we did, I'd traveled down south. And it was kind of the middle of the drought. Um, and I was, I was in some country area. You might have had this experience as well. Um, and as we drove down the road, I just would see paddock after paddock of dust basically, kind of with a bit of straw on top. And then I went to Switzerland. (laughs) My goodness. Contrast, right? Snow-capped mountains uh, with the snow melting, flowing into the valleys, cascading down rivers, into these town, town squares. Every single one of them seemed to have a a great fountain which you could just fill your water bottle from and drink, and it was like drinking life itself. And then whatever water you didn't drink would just pour down the sewer because there was so much water. No, no recycling. And would you believe, no surprise, this is what the fields look like, like green grass. And for someone who likes grass, you know, I got a bit excited. It's just beautiful, rich grass. No surprise, the cows are fat and the milk is good and the chocolate. Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? That's why God does it for the chocolate. That's the, and yeah, you know what I mean. But friends, this, this is the picture I get in my head. Um, when I read Psalm 104, this just God who just loves to give life, flourishing life. He's quite exuberant about it. He's a bit over the top, I think. See, see verse 15. He gives wine that makes man's heart glad, making his face shine with oil, and bread that sustains man's heart. 
you know, wine's not necessary. Some of you might disagree, but it's not necessary, is it? Like, we can get by on water. We don't even need bread. Wheat-bix, we can get by on bread, you know, water and wheat bix. But God's not into getting by. He's not just into survival. He's into life. Exuberant, life, abundant. The next section, he goes on and he turns his attention to another part of God's good creation. He talks about the way God's set up this pattern of day and night. Day, night, day, night. This is is a pattern God has set up so that you and I might live and flourish. Who's done shift work? Evenings, yeah? It's it's not good for flourishing, is it? It's not not healthy. (laughs) Shift work's bad. God's pattern is day, night, day. You work during the day, you sleep at night. This is a good pattern. He's a life-giving God. And then the psalmist turns his attention to the sea. Uh, Verse 25 Verse 25, here is the sea, vast and wide, sorry, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. Um, I've just been on holidays to Fingal Bay, lovely place, and here's a picture that uh, some divers took up there. It's crazy, right? You can hardly see the water for the fish. The, the, the ocean is teeming with life. I was talking to a gentleman after 8 a.m. Ch- uh, church who'd just been diving off Indonesia, and he said, yeah, that's that's right. That's pretty well what he saw. You know, incredible. Just life everywhere. Um, I discovered recently that um, the blue whale's tongue weighs two and a half ton. That's like a car in his mouth. If he, when he opens his mouth, he can fit ninety ton of water and food in it. What a ridiculous animal! I get this. He eats krill. Tiny. Why did God make the blue whale? Was it necessary? Why did he make it? He just loves life, doesn't he? He's a creative, life-giving God. Check out the next verse, verse 26. This is a cool little one. He's still talking about the water at the sea, and he says, There the ships move about, and Leviathan, which is this strange sea creature, which you formed to purpose. Why was he formed? To play. We so often the scientists tell us that all the animals are so hard at work and they're kind of, you know, they're, they're almost like, well, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. It's, it's like they're Germans, you know, always busy. They've got a job to do, fighting for survival. And C.S. Lewis says, you know what I think when I look at animals? They're playing. They're playing so much of the time. You know, this is our God. He makes life abundantly. And so verse 24 says, How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Your creatures. And they each look to God for their sustenance. And so verse 27. All of them wait for you to give them their food at the right time. Anyone got a dog or grew up with dogs? Yeah, a few of us around. The dog knows the right time for food, doesn't he? Yeah, kind of comes and sits on top of his bowl, kind of, yeah, I'm ready, it's time. This is every creature in the world, waiting on God, their master, to give them food. Uh, When he gives it, they're delighted. When he takes it away, they die. When he breathes again, life again comes to this world. This is our God, our our life-giving, creating God. And the psalmist concludes all of this catalogue of reasons to praise our God by saying, verse 31, 
May the glory of the Lord endure forever. He's looked around, he's taken it in, and he says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God while I live. Creation is just that, friends. A catalog of reasons to praise and thank our God. He gives life to our world. And he gives life to you and to me. It is so appropriate that we should praise and thank him, isn't it? Isn't it? It would be absurd not to praise and thank our God. Which makes me absurd sometimes. Because I don't know about you, but I'm often slow to praise and thank our God. Crazy as that is, I'm slow to do it. So I kind of like the way this psalm begins and ends by saying, my soul, praise Yahweh. Almost as if the psalmist is saying, hey, soul, you should really praise this God. You really should. Okay, soul, do I need need to tell you why? Look, okay, okay, soul, let me point out the reasons you should praise this God. I'll, I'll spell them out for you. Have you ever done that for your soul? Have you ever done that, just kind of stopped and said, why ought I praise God? Let me list it. I've been doing it this week. Um, It's really easy to think of reasons to praise God. Or maybe have you ever gone for a walk, just just taken yourself for a walk off into the bush, down by the beach, into a park, and just reminded yourself of why you ought to praise this God. So that you might say, my soul, praise Yahweh, my life-giving God. We've got to remind ourselves, and we've got to remind ourselves of the reasons to praise our God, because we're forgetful. But also, I think there's another thing, there's another reason here. We need to remind ourselves, because, because we feel this tension, because, you know, our experience is not life, 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 life. Our, our experience is life and death, flourishing and, and struggling. Our experience is, is great times and, 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 and thriving, but also struggling and, 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 and suffering. So, so we don't just, we have this kind of, this tension that we experience. And so we're not, we kind of doubt in the end that God really is a life-giving God. And so we're slow to, to praise him and thank him because we're just sometimes not convinced. I flew to Darwin last year, and um, this was more or less the sight from the plane. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense to you. This is kind of bird's eye view for thousands of kilometers of just death, nothing, no life. There's this tension going on. I've got gods at work for life, but I see this from the plane. Is God really a life-giving God? Really? Friends, if we're not convinced by this, if we're not convinced he's, he's a life-giving God, we're not going to follow him because we want to live. We're not going to follow him down the dark paths, down the hard paths. Or perhaps maybe we, we think maybe God is a life giver, but he's just not very strong. And death seems to be, the power of death seems to be overcoming him, winning. If that's the case, we're not going to follow that God either. So here's the question, friends. Will death win? Is death winning? Is the power of death too strong and it's going to erode our society and our culture and our world and our very lives? Is that right? Is that how it's going? It seems like it when I look around. It may not surprise you 
Um, but I think the answer is no. <laughs> Death is not winning. Death will not win. Because point three, life has won. I was going to call this point life will win, but I think this makes the point better. Life has won. We'll get to that. Come back with me to the psalm, back to the, verse, the first verse of the psalm. Verse 1, my soul prays Yahweh. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. He wraps himself in light as if it were a robe. This is how God, friends, he can put on light as if it's a t-shirt. You know, is anything going to stop this God achieving his purposes of bringing life? Is any power of death going to be able to stop him? I don't think so. I don't think so. What's the proof? Well, you know, this is a poem, Dan. It's just a poem. Come on. Well, the proof is this, friends, the resurrection of Jesus. That's where we stake our hope and our claim that life will win. In fact, that life has won. The resurrection of Jesus is like a big fat peg that has been hammered into the timeline of the universe and it shouts out, death will not win. Life has broken through, life has won and will win. Sure, it looked like death had won when Jesus hung up there on a cross. Sure, it looks like death is winning when you look around the world and when you experience death in your own life, that, that, that suffering and frustration and that power of evil and sin. It looks like death is winning. But did it end there? Did it end on the cross? What's the end point? Life. Life is where it ends, friends. Life is where it ended for the Lord Jesus. And as you trust in him, life is where it ends for you. The spirit of life, that the Lord, the giver of life is at work in you as you trust in him, bringing life to your mortal body, even in this world of death. Friends, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, you have life already. Do you trust in Jesus? Do you have life at work in you already, even in this world of death? I hope so. I hope you've turned to Jesus, the one who, in Luke 4, has come to free the oppressed, to set the captives free, to give life. Friends, if you trust in him, in your life already, death's power has begun to unravel. He's lost its hold on you. It's weakening. And one day, soon and very soon, it's going to lose its power completely. When Jesus, the once dead king, returns and raises your lowly body that it might be a glorious body like his, that you might know life as you've never known it before. Do you remember when you were a bit younger, um, maybe not much younger, maybe a lot younger, um, when you used to wake up in the morning and just feel alive, feel like you wanted to spring out of bed, your arms were strong, your, your legs were like springs. That was a while ago for me, I feel. <laughs> Do you remember that? So it will be again, only more so. Because God is a life-giving God. He really is. You believe it? Look to the resurrection.
when he overcame death once and for all. That's our hope for the future. It's our reality now. Let's thank God for that, shall we? Let's pray. Father, once again, we're so thankful that this is who you are. Oh Lord, if this were not the case, we would be lost. We would have nothing. We're so thankful that you are a life-giving God. Um, Father, thank you so much for the work of your spirit in us, in bringing us life now, for sealing us for the future as well, for our our life with you forever. Um, Father, I pray, please, that your spirit of life would fill us now, that we would really live We'd really live for you now. God, I pray, please, that you would make us like you, people who love life. Make us people who love your creation and the environment and art and music and gardening and cooking and families and communities and all people and the oppressed and the struggling. May we love life, God. And would you work in us by your spirit of life to to be like you and actually bring life to others to love others, to speak words of life to them about your son, that they might have life eternal. Lord, please use us. And finally, God, I do want to pray once again for those of us uh, for whom this seems very hard to believe, who are really feeling the the power of death in this world acutely in their own lives at the moment, um, who are finding it hard to believe that you are a God of life who wants them to flourish. Please help those of us here this evening through your word, by your spirit, to look at Jesus, our risen King who lives for us, in whose name we pray. Amen.